Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Um, if this this morning is uh, like a meal, then I think um, Gary's opening is probably the steak, and maybe this is the mashed potatoes. A little lighter, maybe, but hopefully you can digest it, and uh, it'll do you some good. Um, the title of my message is The Will of God as a Way of Life. You know, we all face lots of decisions all the time, um, from the major to the mundane. Um, what should I eat for breakfast? What should I wear today? Should I do my homework or should I read a book? What book should I read? Um, should I go to college or get a full-time job? What should I do this summer? Should we buy a house or should we rent? What house should we buy? Um, what job offer should I take? We're often faced with these choices. And sometimes it's not so much a choice between two things, but um, a question about our life and, and the purpose of our life. Um, you know, should I change jobs? Uh, is this really the right job for me? Should I change churches? Should I go into mission work? Should I get married? Am I making good use of my life? Am I missing something in my life that would make it more fulfilling? Um, all these things can run through our minds, and we wonder if we're really doing the right thing or what should we do. And one way of viewing life is just a long succession of decisions and the results of those decisions, and that kind of determines our life. And as Christians, obviously, we are um, concerned what God thinks about our decisions, and we want to do His will. And I think younger people especially are always interested in um, the topic of discovering God's will as they think about their life ahead of them and all of the many decisions they have. But I think older people um, wonder about this too. As they see much of life in the rearview mirror, they wonder maybe, um, is, this, is this really... Um, what my life is going to be um, when it's all over? Is this what it will have been? Um, and they can wonder, does God want something more from me, or is this just it here? So I want to look at God's will this morning and um, how we look at how we view God's will, what the Bible says about God's will, and um, we'll touch a little bit on decision making. What do we mean when we say, when we refer to God's will? How do you visualize your life in relation to God's will? Um, is it a maze that you're trying to find your way through and there's a lot of dead ends and you just really want to know that path through it? Is it a um, choose your own adventure novel? I used to read those um, a little bit when I was young. You know, um, if you want to go home and call the police, turn to page 53. If you want to follow the robbers into the woods, turn to page 96. Um, is that the way life works? Often we think, when we refer to God's will, we're thinking of God's um, direction for the decisions that we need to make in life. But is, is this really a biblical view of God's will? Is this a well-rounded view of God's will? Um, the inspiration for this message um, is partially from several books I've read recently or in the last uh, year. Um, 
one by Kevin DeYoung and one by Jerry Sitzer. And these books were helpful and they got my mind um, thinking on this topic. But some of the statements in these books are, um, especially statements about divorce and remarriage, um, I'm not very comfortable with. And they also seem to be a little Calvinistic. So I'm not endorsing these authors necessarily, but some of the inspiration for this message comes from these, these men. So I hope what I say is biblical, and with that in mind, let's look at what the Bible says about God's will. I think we can sort of divide God's will into three neat categories, perhaps. The first being um, what I will call God's will of decree, and Gary already touched on this probably better than what I will here, but um, Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10, say this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall, shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So God is going to have his way in the world. Um, his will will be accomplished. And it's not just the big things um, in life, um, just the overall course of the world, um, but he sees the little details of life as well. Matthew 10, uh, verse 29 and 30, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Um, nothing escapes the attention of God. He is in control of everything. And his will of decree, what, what he wants to happen, will happen. And yet we have this other side to God's will. And it's what I'm going to call the will of desire. And this is what God wants from us. Um, it's God's will for us that we, that we should follow. Um, and God doesn't force us to. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So here, the will of God isn't something that necessarily will happen. Um, it's up to us if we are going to do it or if we refuse to do it. Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And here again, we see that we have a choice um, to do the will of God or to not do it. And while we do have a choice, there's consequences. Um, in each of these passages, we see the results of our choice. Um, in John, 1 John, it said, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's a reward for doing God's will. And in Matthew, Jesus said, um, you know, not everyone who uh, says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom, but that reward is for those who do uh, the will of, of his Father. So we have a choice whether we do God's will or not, 
but God still chooses the outcome of, and the result, the consequences of that choice. So that's two ways of looking at the will of God. And there's a third way, um, which we could call the will of direction, God's will of direction. Um, what decision should I make today? Or what, how should I handle this situation right now? Um, the Bible doesn't tell me, uh, so what should I do? And we often seek God's will in this situation. And maybe we focus on this more than these other ways of looking at God's will. And this is not an unbiblical view of God's will. Um, we see this all through the Bible. Um, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel were led by God. Um, very specifically, we see Gideon seeking God's direction. Um, Saul um, wanted God's direction. And remember, that's why he offered that sacrifice um, before Samuel showed up. David um, specifically asked for God's direction. Uh, in 2 Samuel, David, it says, And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver them, the Philistines, into thy hand. God was incredibly clear to David and, in, and to a lot of these uh, people in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, um, perhaps we see a little bit less of this directly asking God for very specific direction in decisions. And I don't want to make a blanket statement uh, about the way God worked in the New Testament, works in the New Testament or anything like that. But as we look through Acts, um, we see a number of decisions being made. Uh, the disciples needed a replacement for Judas, and so they prayed about it. Um, they chose two men, and then they cast lots. Uh, but the fact that they needed a replacement was something that was made clear in Scripture. Peter quoted um, the Old Testament twice, I think, in justifying uh, uh, choosing a replacement for Judas. Um, in Acts 6, uh, the Grecian widows were being neglected, and they needed to do something to fix the problem. And the 12 apostles made a proposal. It seemed good to everyone, and so they chose uh, the deacons. In Acts 8, um, an angel came to Philip and told him to go um, meet the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts 10, Cornelius had a vision um, telling him to call for Peter, and Peter had a vision uh, that prepared his mind um, to go with uh, these men sent from Cornelius and to accept Cornelius as God already had. And we could go on and on. Um, there's lots of decisions made in the New Testament. So should we expect visions and direct instructions from God as we try to determine his direction for life? Should we cast lots when we're faced with a big decision? Um, this is where the will of God gets a little murky, and this is where I realize that I'm probably in over my head with this subject. But hopefully we can look at... Um, some scriptures here and find some direction for how we should think about God's will, even if we don't understand at all. So we tend to, there's, there's these um, different um, ways of thinking of God's will, and we tend, I think, to spend a lot of time and energy trying to find God's um, direction for our life, how we should make specific decisions. 
and that can stress us out a lot. Um, and why do we do this? Well, the reasons um, range from the good to the not so good. Um, we genu genuinely want to please God, and so we care about what he thinks about our decisions. Also, sometimes we worry about the future, and we don't want to mess up. We don't want to make a mess of our lives, and so we care about what God thinks. Sometimes, though, we're cowards. Um, we don't want to make tough decisions. It would be so much easier if God would just tell us, here, this is what I want you all to do. Just do it. Um, and sometimes we don't want to own the responsibility of uh, the outcome of our decisions. It'd be so much easier if we could say, God told me to do this. Um, blame him. Uh, sometimes big decisions are more exciting than the mundane routine of just serving God um, every day in the little things, day after day. And so our focus is on God's direction for big life decisions. And sometimes we don't trust God enough to lead us into the future. Um, we would feel so much better if he would reveal the future to us, make his will very plain, because um, we're scared to uh, proceed into an unknown future. So what do we know? Um, a lot of this is unclear, but there are some things that we can be very sure about and uh, when it comes to God's will. You know, some students, they really like um, straight answers. They, they ask me, is this what I should write? Yes or no? You know, tell me. And um, if, if that describes you, um, there's more than one student like that, so I'm not trying to single anybody out. But, and I, I probably don't always um, answer perfectly in these situations either, but I like students to exhaust the tools that they've been given um, before I give them lots of help. Like, you know, did you read that section about, you know, the First Amendment? Um, or do you just want me to tell you uh, what the answer is? Did you go back and try to find it yourself? Um, in math, did you check over your calculations? Um, did you look for mistakes? Did you write down all of the equations that you do know and that you do understand um, before you threw up your hands and said, I don't know how to do this problem? Often, um, when students focus on what they do know and what they do understand, then the rest kind of becomes plain and they can figure it out. And if they can't, well then at least the teacher knows they put in a good effort and um, he'll probably help them. We can be a little bit this way in our approach to God and God's will. Uh, maybe we would like to do big things for God. We would like to serve him somewhere. Um, if only he would just make his will clear to us where he wants us to serve him. That might be a little extreme because we all know that we can serve God um, wherever we are. But this way of thinking can creep into our outlook of life, on life when we focus more on what God hasn't told us than on the vast part of God's will that he has um, revealed to us. You can turn to Philippians 3, um, verse 15. And I'll read a few verses here, but just prior to this, Paul is explaining um, how everything is a, is a loss. He considers everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. 
And he wants to know Christ more. He wants to be like Christ um, in, his, in Christ's death. And, and so to obtain a resurrection. And then he goes on to say that uh, he doesn't, he hasn't already obtained all of this. Um, he hasn't been made perfect, but he's pressing on to take hold of that which, for which Christ took hold of for me. He says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but forgetting what's behind, I press on. Okay. And then, and then in verse 15, he says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And I think that's the NIV there. So this may not be the main point of this passage, but I think it's a principle that's true. Um, God can make things clear to us, but we need to be faithful in living out what he has already made clear to us. Uh, the key to far, farther direction from God and insight and clarity is being faithful in what he has already shown us, what is already clear and what is plain. In James 4, starting at verse 13, we have a similar idea. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, while you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this, live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. And I'm focusing especially on that last verse. How does this last verse fit into these warnings about boasting about tomorrow? Um, I think maybe James is just saying that life is short, perhaps much shorter than you realize. So don't procrastinate when it comes to doing the good that you already know you should be doing. Don't put it off. Um, to put off the good you know to do is sin. So from these passages, I hope it's, it's clear that it is sinful, um, it's a hindrance to farther clarity, and it might even be frustrating to God, just like it can be to a teacher, if we neglect um, his clearly explained will uh, in our pursuit of, uh, and, and worry and stress about specific um, direction from God. And if we go back to two examples that I mentioned earlier uh, when we were looking at God's will of direction, remember how Philip uh, was told by an angel to go um, to the desert where he would meet the Ethiopian? What was Philip doing when he received that uh, word from the angel? Well, in Acts 8, um, 4, we read that uh, as a result of persecution, uh, the Christians were scattered abroad, and wherever they went, it says they preached. And Philip was in Samaria, and he was preaching there, and there was great joy in that whole city uh, because of the message that he had. He was doing a good work, and um, the angel came and redirected him somewhere else. And we don't know that he was um, 
asking God where to go. He may have been, but he was doing a good work right where he was. In Acts 10, where we have the story of Cornelius, what, what was Cornelius doing? What was Peter doing when he received the vision? Well, we know Peter was praying. Um, he was waiting for the food to get ready when he received his trance. And Cornelius, we don't know if he was praying at the moment he received a word from God, but he was a man of regular prayer, and he um, gave to the poor. He was being faithful in, in where he was and with the knowledge he had, and we don't know if these men were asking God for direction. It doesn't say, but we do know that they were being faithful right where they were. And so that's one lesson I think that we can be sure about when we think of God's will. Um, it is very important that we are faithful in the things that we understand, in the things in the part of will God's will that He has made clear to us. And God's will um, of of desire, His will for us that we serve Him. Um, God plainly says several places in Scripture uh, what his will is for us. And I know Galen preached on this some time ago um, in more depth than what I'm going to hear. But uh, in 1 Thessalonians, there's a few verses that tell us what God's will is for us. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 3 through 8 it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. This is God's will for us, that we be sanctified, and that we be holy, and that we be pure. And then in the next chapter, um, we're given a whole list of instructions right at the end of chapter 5. Um, and I'll just read through a few of these. Chapter 5, uh, verse... 14, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Um, God makes it clear what he wants from us, how he wants us to live. And, you know, we don't have to limit um, God's instruction to these specific passages that say this is God's will. Uh, I understand that there are about uh, over a thousand commands in the New Testament. I didn't think it worth my time to, to verify that. But um, this is God's word, and this is all commands of God. It's all God's will for us, his commands um, in the Bible. Um, God, I don't think, says that we have to uh, stress about finding his will. Rather, we should live according to the will that he gives us, be faithful in that, and 
um, as we live our lives as a sacrifice to God and are renewed in our minds, like it says in Romans 12, um, then we'll know how to, um, I'm forgetting the wording, but how to know what God's um, acceptable, perfect uh, will is and how to live life. Now, we can't avoid decisions, though. Um, we need to be holy. We need to be obedient to what we find in, in God's word. But we still have to make decisions. And how should we make wise decisions? I want to look at a few methods that people use to make decisions, um, a few questionable methods, and, and then look at what hopefully is the biblical way of making God-honoring decisions. Often we hear Christians talk about open doors. Um, like this just seemed like an open door, so I walked through it. Or um, this isn't working out, it's not an open door. And generally we use this terminology to refer to opportunities that come our way. And this could be very helpful for us um, if, if these are good things that we already know we should be doing. Um, you know, you met your neighbor at the mailbox and it was an open door to witness to him. Or um, you got asked to go serve on the foreign mission field and it was an open door and you decided to take the opportunity. Open doors like that um, can, be, can be helpful in, in helping us make choices. But this can be really dangerous if we use open doors to justify poor choices. For example, um, maybe you're working long hours and your relationship with your wife is strained and you suddenly get a, a, a wonderful job offer with a great salary, but you're going to have to travel three weeks out of the month and be away from your family. Um, in that case, that open door uh, may not be, and probably is not, a sign from God that you should take that job. Um, we should also not use open doors as a way to justify laziness or inactivity. Um, if you're unemployed and you left, dropped off a resume at some business and they just haven't got back to you and you're just twiddling your thumbs and upset that God is not opening any doors for you. Um, maybe you need to get up and, and try harder. Um, open doors are not an excuse for laziness, shouldn't be. Jonah, when he was asked by God uh, to go to Nineveh, he found an open door in the ship to Tarshish, but that was not an indication of God's will for him, I don't think. Um, it had a lot more to do with his own disobedience and desire to disobey God. Um, the best decisions are not necessarily the easy ones um, or the easiest ones. Sometimes we have to knock on doors to get them to open, and that's, that's um, straight from the words of Jesus. Open doors by themselves are not very good indicators of God's will. Another method that people sometimes use to make decisions is fleeces. Um, and of course that comes from the story of Gideon. And maybe fleeces have a, a place. Um, in all of these 
these things. I don't, I want to be very careful not to put God in a box because um, we know his ways are so much higher than ours. Um, I don't want to say what he can and can't do. But with fleeces, uh, it seems like it could easily become uh, a little bit like manipulating God. Um, I think we should be pretty careful uh, about asking God for miraculous signs. In Matthew 16, the Pharisees asked God for a sign, and Jesus, I mean, asked Jesus for a sign, and Jesus was not at all impressed. Um, in Luke 4, 12, um, when Jesus is being tempted, he responds to Satan and says, it says, do not put the Lord your God to a test. And when we use fleeces, it, it's possible that we could um, actually be testing God. Now, could God use, can God use fleeces? I think he absolutely can. Um, if, if we're trying to choose between equally good options and we just need a way to decide, maybe a fleece is a good option, I don't know. Um, but I think we have to be very careful that we're not using it as a way to force God's hand. Um, it's not good to try to force God to choose um, between giving us what we want or showing us some amazing miracle. Um, I don't think that's the way we should approach God. Obviously, Gideon used the fleece um, to receive confirmation from God, and God blessed his request. Uh, but Judges may not be the best uh, book of the Bible to use as our pattern for life. Um, and God, God uses signs, though. Um, in Isaiah 7, God tells, uh, yeah, God tells through one of the prophets, tells uh, King Ahaz to ask for a sign. And interestingly, Ahaz isn't interested in a sign. He, he refuses to do it. And God was very frustrated with Ahaz. And so he gave him a sign anyway. And that's where we get the sign of, um, or the prophecy uh, that Jesus would be born to a virgin. So God certainly um, can give signs, but we should be careful. Um, and another thing to remember is, in the Old Testament, they had far less revelation of God's will than what we do today. And um, we should keep that in mind uh, when we look at these accounts, I think. Another way that some people um, make decisions, and this probably may be the, perhaps the worst of, of the three, I don't know, but random Bible verses. Um, we know that God can direct us to certain scriptures um, that speak to a need in our life. Um, the Holy Spirit can bring verses to mind in a time of temptation. Um, a sermon, perhaps, could speak to a specific need in our lives. But we should not put more stock into a verse when we randomly open our Bible than we do in careful Bible study done day after day, um, trying to understand the context uh, of the Scripture and, and what God is really communicating through his word. Maybe you've heard this joke um, about the man looking for guidance uh, who flipped uh, to Matthew 27, 5, looking for a word from the Lord, and it says, and Judas went and hanged himself. And not happy with that word from the Lord, um, he then turned to Luke 10, 37, 
uh, which says, and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Um, it's, it's just random Bible verses are just random. And um, God can use specific scriptures, but we need to be very careful with that, obviously. John Newton um, has a quote on this, on this topic that I think is pretty good. He says, others, when in doubt, have opened the Bible at a venture and expected to find something to direct them in the first verse they should cast their eye upon. It is no small discredit to this practice that the heathens who knew not the Bible used some of their favorite books in the same way. And then he goes on to talk about some of those, um, some of that from history. For if people will be governed by the occurrence of a single text of Scripture without regarding the context or duly comparing it with the general tenor of the Word of God and with their own circumstances, they com may commit the greatest extravagances, expect the greatest impossibilities, and contradict the plainest dictates of common sense while they think they have the Word of God on their side. So those are some very uh, questionable uh, ways of determining God's will and should be used with uh, extreme caution, I think. How should we de uh, determine God's direction for life? Well, I, I'm going to call this the way of wisdom, and you can turn to Proverbs 2, starting at verse 1. And I'm going to read the first six verses of Proverbs 2. This is the NIV. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For God gives from the Lord, oh, sorry, for the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. There's three uh, parts to this, um, if we want to think about it this way. In verse 1, he says, if you, if you store up my commands within you, and we can think of that as um, Bible reading, um, God's word, regular time spent in God's Word uh, so that we become very familiar with what God values and God's way of approaching life, so that we become very familiar with how Jesus lived life, um, his example and, and how he approached situations, how he dealt with people. So the first thing is Bible reading, the first um, step in obtaining uh, what we're looking for here. And then verse 2, turning your ear to understanding. This, we can think of this as listening to sound advice. Um, that's why we uh, fellowship together. That's why we have church. That's why Christians meet together. Um, so we can help each other, uh, keep each other from being deceived. Um, and when we are looking for advice from people, uh, we should be careful not to only seek advice from those who we know will agree with us. 
um, or see things our way. Um, advice is a good thing, but uh, it's somewhat limited by our own motives. If we have very poor motives um, and we're not serious about getting sound advice, um, we can collect, as the Bible says, people around us who tell us what we want to hear. And, and that's not uh, going to be helpful. So that's the second uh, step. And then the third step we see in verse 3, and if you call out for insight, and, and this could be praying to God, um, just asking God to reveal his will to us and, and to help us. You know, even if, we, even if God isn't going to show us exactly what to do, um, we can pray for pure motives. We can pray that, uh, that we, we wouldn't be um, motivated by pride, that we wouldn't be uh, motivated by fear, selfishness. Um, these are all good things that we can pray for that will help us make wise decisions and help us have wisdom. And then in verse 5, um, if we do these three steps... Here is the result. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Um, does he say, then you will know what job to take? Or then you will know what to name your next child? No, he doesn't say that. Um, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, wisdom is not just smart choices, um, but rather it's a God-centered approach to life. It's living a disciplined life in, in the fear of God. Um, I like to think of it as wisdom is not having the solutions manual to every problem that comes our way, but it is having a relationship with the teacher such that we learn how to solve the problems the way the teacher would solve them. And obviously our teacher is Jesus. And Jesus says in Matthew 11, 29 and 30, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So uh, summarizing a bit here what we've looked at, um, whether you are a young person who is trying to find your spot in life, or whether you are an older person who's trying to find or struggling to find fulfillment in your spot, um, if we're going to stress about something, then let's stress about being faithful in the 95% of God's will that we are plainly given in Scripture, um, rather than stressing about discovering that 5% that we don't know. And these percentages are arbitrary, so maybe you have a better uh, idea how that works. But we are given so much um, about what God wants from us. Are we be really being faithful in all of that? Or are we stressing out, agonizing about these other things, um, specific decisions in life? Um... We are imperfect human beings, and we're not going to make the perfect decisions every time. And I don't think 
that God um, expects us to to find a make a perfect choice every time in every situation. Rather, I think He wants us to be obedient uh, to the best of our abilities um, to the commands that He's given us, and to trust that He has the whole world in His hands, like we sang about a few minutes ago, and trust Him. Uh, the one who sees the sparrow fall, that he will take care of us uh, in the future. Um, Romans, I'm sorry, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And Romans 8.28, um, And we know all things that all things work together for good, of, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Um, we need to trust God for the future. And that doesn't mean that everything is going to work out nice and will be easy. Um, think of uh, the people at the end of the chap uh, Hebrews 11, um, the people who were sawn in two, the people who were wandering about um, destitute with no, no home. They weren't receiving what they had been promised in this life. Um, their reward was in the next life. Following God and making wise decisions doesn't guarantee an easy life. But God promises that he is good and, and there will be a reward for us in eternity. So if, if I had to summarize this message in, in just a couple of words, I would say it's this, trust and obey. And just like the song says, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey.